The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers or their clients. There. Yeah, you've got clients. I do have clients, yes. I've just got a guy who cuts me a check every couple of weeks. Yes. Here we go. From the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14, this is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Headphones 2.0 will introduce you to the replacement for your mini jack. Meantime, take the headphones off your belly, moms to be. The latest numbers show there's no benefit to playing music in utero. Worst year ever, for at least as long as SoundScan has been monitoring album sales. We'll find out why. Canadian songstress Michael Bublé croons for Delta, and we pine for a better in-flight safety video. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Plus, proof that bad news comes in threes. Lou Reed's last photo, and why fish are driving people crazy around the world. Over. Roger. Huh? Roger, over. Huh? And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. A new alternative to the headphone jack. Well, this is kind of cool. I don't know why anybody hasn't done this before. It is, um, the, you know, the quarter-inch headphone jack and the one-eighth inch headphone jack are, 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 are really annoying in the sense that they are, um, you know, it's, it's the whole male-female relationship when it comes to connectors. And and mine, how many headphones have you lost because the the jack goes. I've lost a couple. I have to confess. I've lost a couple um, because as a matter of the headphones I'm wearing right now, if I don't put them in in a proper way, then I've got a bit of a problem. Yeah, exactly. Now, um, Apple has for years had their MagSafe power connector, which uh, has honestly saved me more than once with the dog. Uh, why can't we have a headphone jack like that? Well, that's exactly what they're trying to do. And apparently this guy, uh, he's got something called the Pogo and it's 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 much like that where I guess it's sort of like a magnetic connection that replaces the one eighth inch jack that you would normally have to put into something. I like the idea and I think more. I can't believe it. We haven't done this up until now. So the idea here is that not only does it connect with um, magnets, much like the MagSafe connector does, as you can see them playing with it right here, uh, but it actually can be uh, oriented in two ways. The, the main way you would plug it in, but you can also remove it and put it in sideways in case you need it at an angle. See, now that would be great because I don't know why Apple ended up putting the headphone jack at the bottom of their um, devices. Oh, I'm so glad they did. It used to be at the top, and it drove me crazy with the cord always hanging down in front of the screen. Well, okay, fine. Uh, but if you're if you're jogging, for example, it's it was great at the top. Yeah, I, I would I would give you that. But then I only run for my life. Yeah, that, that, okay, I, I get it. But see, look at this thing. This thing is cool. I would like to have this. Um, on everything. This is brilliant. And again, the, when the dog comes along and, and, and hooks her little paw around the, the headphone jacket, it, it just comes off nice and neatly and you don't have to worry about anything, uh, you know, breaking under stress. What it has is for the left and right audio channels, because you have two wires for each channel, it has those four um, wires put in just little prongs that just touch each other at the various connectors. And then um, there's a magnet dead in the center, which keeps it all attached together. And the neat thing, too, is that you can mix and match. So if you had multiple devices with the male connector end, you could just plug the 
I would say not female because it's no longer female. It's eunuch ended. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Anywhere you want. No, I, I, I want one. I think everybody should have these things. I think they should be an industry standard. I, I'm, I'm in. I mean, the old uh, headphone jack is something that goes back to the 1950s, if not earlier. So let's uh, let's move on. You report this week that uh, when you look at the sound scan numbers, uh, four and a half million albums were sold in the United States uh, over the course of October, for the most part, uh, the last week of, of October. And that was the lowest level since sound scan started keeping track of this sort of thing in 19. 19- 91? Yeah. You know what? Think, things are ugly when it comes to record sales. Uh, let me explain what's going on here. SoundScan is the way that we determine exactly how many records are sold. This is a, a system that came into being in 1991, March 1st of 1991, and replaced the old estimates of records sold. And every time a record gets scanned at the cash, that gets counted as a sale. Before then, you didn't have that sort of stuff. So, uh, uh They've been keeping track of this stuff since March 1st, 1995. And this past week was the lowest number of albums sold in a week since the very beginning. And it was about four and a half million copies. It has been a brutal, brutal time for for people selling records in the record industry. Uh, In the United States, um, I think CD sales are down somewhere between 15 and... Well, 13 and 15 percent over last year, and they're actually selling fewer digital singles this year than they were last year. So it's it's a terrible situation, and there's a lot of reasons for it. I, I can go through some of them if you want. Um, people have soured on the idea of 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 an album. Um, an album is a collection of songs that's basically a retail event. You know, we've um, uh, collected all these songs together and we're going to issue everything all at the same time we want you to rush out and buy all these songs together uh, people aren't doing that anymore it's that we live in an a la carte world labels and artists really need to rethink about making albums because why would you go through the trouble and expense if nobody's really as interested in them as they used to be you can still release collections of of, of record uh, you can still release collections of songs. You just have to realize that you're not going to sell uh, them in the numbers that you used to. Uh, piracy is a factor, but not as the industry might suggest. Uh, there are bigger issues at work. Uh, people have become li- uh, accustomed to buying music a la carte, you know, one track at a time via some kind of online retailer like like iTunes. Streaming music services are taking over. Why buy an album when you can access the album for 10 bucks a month on an all-you-can-eat basis through a service like Spotify or uh, Deezer or Songza or Artie or any one of a number of them? Um, People have more options than ever to sample an artist before they buy the record. I think this is really important because back in the day, you bought the album based on the single. And if the single was was good, then you maybe gambled money on the rest of the album, hoping there would be something else uh, good on there. Don't have to do that anymore because you've been burned too many times. Um, There haven't been as many big name releases this year as there has been in previous years. The entire music industry just groaned when there was going to be no U2 album this year because you need the big name releases to get people into stores. So maybe they buy that album and another one or another two or so. Um, there have been fewer blockbusters these days. And when you do have a blockbuster these days, uh, it's a big deal if it sells a million copies. Uh, back in the day, 10 million copies was, was a good start. Um, consumers have more things that are vying for their entertainment attention these days. If, you know, between, you know, uh, YouTube and smartphones and everything else that's out there, they're just choosing to spend their time, their money and their interest elsewhere, elsewhere. Um, or maybe just music isn't that good this 
this, these days. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't have to go out and buy an entire album anymore. No. All we need to do is buy the track that we wanted. And, and I, I, I think the industry shot itself in the foot in the 80s when they saw how much money could be made out of the single. And then you went, wow, that single that I just heard on the radio was fantastic. I'm going to buy the whole album. And the rest of the album was crap. Well, that, that especially that got really bad towards the end of the 90s where we were told again that the price of a CD was going to come down, and it never did. We were still paying $15, $17, $20 for a CD, which was ridiculous. And in many cases, there would be that one single and then 12 pieces of crap. And people got burned. Napster came along, which was a huge liberating thing for a lot of people. No longer did we have to get the 11 or 12 pieces of crap. We could just get the one song that we wanted. And then iTunes comes along and opens up this whole thing to a la carte purchases. And and that's proving to be the death knell of the album. The the problem, I'm not saying that the album is dead. The uh, the issue with, 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 with the album is that it's still a very big retail event for the industry, right? So it's something that is marketed heavily, and then the public is driven to the release of the album. The other thing is that there were a lot of industry things still based on the notion of the album. Award shows, for example, it's all about albums. Uh, grants for something like Factor, again, there's all about it's all about the album so until we move away from this idea of selling and funding and marketing and distributing these collections of songs the album is going to be with us but i think it's uh, i think it's unnoticed the only reason why we have albums is because we developed the technology to put more than one track on a platter and so Back to the 40s, when you would have a single disc, a 78, that would have only one song on it, and you'd have to flip it to play to the next one. On the 78s, you could only hold three, maybe four minutes of music per side. And that didn't really work if you were you had a longer piece, such as a, a symphony. And you'd have to break that up over uh, multiple records. Then what you did was you put these things in a book with leaves that were actually little sleeves bound together. Right. I remember this. So you would have like eight or nine records in this bound collection, which looked like a photo album. So but this was a record album. And then when when Columbia Records introduced the long playing LP, uh, the record album in uh, or the modern record album in, in uh, June of 1948, uh, the, the, the name just stuck because we've been using the term record album for for about 50 years. It's all my fault. I should never have listened to those Kiss albums when I was pregnant. March, with all due respect, that's ridiculous. My Sarah listened to Mozart and Churchill speeches when she was pregnant with Ralphie, and he can't even open a refrigerator. Pushing. Always, always pushing. Really? Oh, yeah. That kid's a mess. Hey, only I get to criticize him, Lou. Kid's scared to flush. Thinks it's his brother. (laughs) The story that you posted on alancross.ca fascinated me because... I went through this whole thing when we had my daughter, which is the Mozart effect, the idea that you want to play music while your child is in utero because it helps build their brain. Mm. And I wasn't completely convinced that that was the case. And now you've got this article that sort of backs up my suspicion that maybe that's really not what's going on. I, I, I don't think so. The, the Mozart effect has been debunked. It's, uh, it doesn't work. 
Uh, however, what some scientists in Finland say is that babies will recognize music that was played while they were in utero uh, for up to four months after they're born. So be careful what you play your, your babies, ladies. Because uh, one of the things that was rather interesting is in this study, the babies were that the, the were being studied were um, uh, recognizing their uh, the the theme show uh, the theme song to their mother's favorite soap opera. <laughs> yeah, the, we uh, we played a lot of music for my daughter. I have to confess, though, I have I'm not much of a music guy, so as a result, we didn't really get specifically. I've got a buddy of mine um, who is so into music that he had his children trained by the time they were five or six to, un, to to basically understand the whole catalog of Motown records. These kids weren't listening to the Wriggles or the Wiggles, excuse me. They were listening to real music and good music at that. That's a good dad. I, I wouldn't have the patience for that sort of thing. But uh, <laughs> what uh, we found out with my daughter, she, because she was uh, a preemie, uh, was that um, children who are premature, they need silence. They need, correct, the least amount of sound as possible. And um, in darkened rooms as well, because they're still developing. They're, as far as they're concerned, they're still inside mommy's tummy and they're still growing. And uh, loud noises, a very bad thing. Switch everything on. Very impressive, very impressive. And what are you doing this morning? It's a birth. Ah, what sort of thing is that? Well, that's when we take a new baby out of a lady's tummy. Wonderful what we can do nowadays. Ah, I see you have the machine that goes bing! And what ends up happening is when you have a child that's six weeks premature, as was in our case... Mm -hmm. You put them in the neonatal intensive care unit, level three, at Mount Sinai Hospital in Toronto. It is like a Monty Python routine with all the bells and whistles going off because there are alarms that are attached to their feet and to their hands uh, and uh, to keep ensuring that you know we know that they're all okay. And anytime there's ever a hiccup, and the funny thing is, is nine times out of ten, it's gas. <laughs> But a, a baby fart will set off an alarm. And so when you've got 24 kids in a neonatal intensive care unit, they are absolutely going crazy with the noises. And so when we took our daughter out of the level three and into the level two, it they had a whole different environment. Uh, the alarms were mostly silent and the lighting was always very dark and they would actually keep covers over the bassinets so that the babies could continue to grow because you don't want a lot of sound when they're still growing. Isn't that interesting? Okay. Yeah. See, I didn't know that. Okay. Sure, Donna. A boy or a girl? Now, I think it's a little early to start imposing roles on it, don't you? Now, a word of advice. You may find that you suffer for some time a totally irrational feeling of depression. PMD, as we doctors call it. So, it's lots of happy pills for you, and you can find out all about the birth when you get home. It's available on Betamax, VHS, and Super 8. Why Facebook's European headquarters is in Dublin? I think I know the answer to this. Yes, it's Bono. Bono, of course, is a founding member of a company called Elevation Partners. Elevation Partners bought a huge chunk of Facebook stock before it went public. Bono made uh, several hundred million dollars 
on that transaction and, of course, is tight with management at, at Facebook. And when Facebook decided that they were going to open up a European headquarters, something that would be uh, they, they would operate um, Europe, Middle East and I think Africa out of that headquarters, they were going to go to Switzerland. But um, he went and talked to Sheryl uh, Sandberg, uh, chief operating officer of Facebook, and said, hey, you know, you might want to think about Dublin and Ireland because of interesting tax breaks that they may have. So uh, I guess they took the hint and decided that they were going to uh, open up um, their office in in, uh, in Dublin, which is rather interesting because, of course, you 2 moved their business operations out of Ireland to the Netherlands because it was a better tax haven for them. So are you saying then that it's not so much about the taxes as it is about Ireland being his hometown? I don't know what it is. I've heard that it is largely because of the tax benefits. Well, okay, we have to okay we have to explain that that Ireland had a specific tax regime for artists. Uh, they repealed that, which caused an awful lot of people to leave Ireland for other tax havens that were or tax jurisdictions that were much more uh, friendly towards artists. Uh, Because we're talking about a business here and a uh, high-tech business, it's a completely different tax regime. So uh, it's a bit apples and oranges, too. Well, it is actually apples to apples because Apple is under a tremendous amount of fire because of the 180-some-odd billion bucks that they had up until recently. I think it's down to 150 now. Well, yeah, but they've they've been returning that money to shareholders. Right, and that's why that's down. But um, the cash they still have is largely outside of the United States. And part of the reason why they're not bringing it back into the U.S. is because it would just cost them a remarkable amount of money. And one of the biggest places that they're storing their cash right now is in Ireland because of that uh, friendly tax regime. Oh, I didn't know that. See, I, ha- I have some Apple stock. I will declare my interest there. Um, I don't know how much, but uh, it's not a lot. I don't, by the way. And I would I would like some of that 150 billion dollars back. You are getting a fair amount of that back um, already. And uh, you've got Carl Icahn, I believe it is, who's already out there uh, trying to bang on Apple's door, demanding that they he wants them to spend all 150 billion remaining dollars that they've got in their bank account, as it were, on buying back the shares. If he if they did that, one out of every three shares would be taken off the stock market, which would be outrageous. No one would ever consider doing something like that. And the idea, of course, it would boost up Apple stock price, low supply, high demand. Mm. But uh, frankly, I'd really rather see Apple spend that kind of cash buying up other companies because, well, the fact this iPad Air is really sweet. As a matter of fact, the iPad Air that I bought is the I'm calling it the Star Trek tablet. For the first time, I've actually used a tablet that makes it feel like everything I saw on Star Trek The Next Generation. It is, is, it's substantially lighter than the old ones, right? Well, this is the thing. is By percentage, it's something like 20% lighter, 20% lighter. But that extra 20% being chopped off it makes a huge difference. Just holding it in your hand, uh, it feels a heck of a lot lighter than what I had ever experienced before. And that's why I'm calling it the Star Trek tablet. I, I don't particularly like the dimensions. Again, I'd show you the actual thing, except my kids got it right now. Um, And you really can't tell, but uh, the bezel on it on the sides, if you're holding it in uh, portrait mode as opposed to landscape, in portrait mode, the bezels on the side are much thinner. It's it's almost got like a... uh, like an Android tablet feel to it. I'm, I'm not completely comfortable with that. This is fantastic. I got some safety tips that you gotta know. And trust me, it's something that you wanna hear. So honey, sip your lips and enjoy the show. Before we move into the stratosphere, yeah. So won't you hold up your seatbelt, put it on top. 
fantastic. This is the best airline safety video ever. And, you know, I, I, I do an awful lot of flying on a lot of different airlines, and I have never seen anything this cool. And this is Virgin America, and uh, it, is, it actually makes it fun. I'm actually pretty impressed with it. Talk about first world problems, being bored with the pre-flight safety video. But these guys seem to know how to do it right. Yeah. I mean, you know, Virgin in Virgin America, it's they're, they're extensions of Richard Branson's personality and um i think this is i think this is brilliant the 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 other the only other safety video that i've really liked was um on south african airways which was a, a cute cartoon uh, and then there was i think it's cebu airlines in the philippines where the they don't have a, a pre-recorded one the um flight attendants still do it but they do something and i think they call it the safety dance as a matter of fact and it's kind of cool, but I mean, this is way better. And they're going to have to update it because personal electronic devices no longer have to be turned off. Okay, so it was just last week that it's okay to use your iPad or your Kindle or, or whatever it is uh, while on takeoff and landing. As long as you're just reading, you can't um, use it for transmit. You can't use it for making phone calls or anything like that. But but no longer do you have to turn your, your, your iPod off or, or whatever. You can continue to listen to your music. Um, one of the things that they're going to have to do is update all these safety videos. Meantime, a Canadian songstress Michael Bublé has been hired by Delta Airlines to promote a new global connections company from their Seattle hub. Yeah, you know, Bublé is a guy that travels very well internationally. Delta's paid him a, a whack of money because they've... Um, Delta's bought a whole bunch of other airlines consolidated into under the Delta name. And uh, they want to start getting into um, getting connections through Seattle for their Trans-Pacific flights. And they got Buble, who does very well in places like the Philippines, as a matter of fact, um, to be a bit of a spokesperson for him. So, you know, good for them. I wanted to like Michael Buble. I wanted to like him a lot. And I did up until he did the 2010 Vancouver Games. Why? What happened there? Well, if you can picture it, there he was, um, and it was a nice tight close-up of him doing his big song. And um, he did this this kind of thing, almost like a, a Vegas-like entertainer sort of thing, where he looked down at somebody to the to the, the down into the left of him, and he gave him that, "Hey, can you believe I'm up here doing this thing?" And I thought, "Oh, that's really neat." You know, here's this guy; he's he's very humble about the fact that he is singing before the world as the world watches and there's somebody in the audience right down to the to the left of him there who he knows and he gave him that old I can't believe I'm up here look and then the camera pulled back to reveal that there wasn't actually anybody down into the right or down into the left it's one of his things that he does. He pretends that he's recognizing somebody in the audience, even when there isn't an audience member there. And it's, it sort of soured me a bit on it. Mm, it's a gimmick. All right, fine. It's a shtick. I get it. But I was actually kind of hoping that he'd be as humble as he presents himself to be. And, and I suspect he is not. Well, he's a good Canadian boy when it comes to hockey. He actually owns a piece of a, of a hockey team out west. So, Oh, yeah? Uh, I, I, you know what? I don't, I, I'm not a big fan of his music, but... Uh, I'm prepared to give him a bit of a pass. Apparently, he's quite a party guy, too. What does that mean? Uh, I can't say. <laughs> not allowed. I get sued. We get sued. We don't want to do that. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine. 
This is a GNB News Update. This fascinated me. You didn't want to bring this up, or at least you didn't mention it. Uh, but uh, you guys got a big power jolt there at your local Indy 88 station, of which you front. Yeah, scroll back up there. Just look at the number of likes and tweets. Okay, I'm looking at 343. 144 tweets. Okay, let me explain what's going on. Um, Indy 88 is the uh, independent, uh, independently owned uh, indie-friendly radio station in Toronto. It operates at uh, 88.1 megahertz on the FM band, which is the old uh, CKLN frequency. CKLN lost their frequency when they did not um, adhere to the conditions of their license. So uh, when the frequency became available, there was a maximum output that was uh, that was allowed by under the terms of of the application. 872 watts, I see. Uh, the problem was that there were other radio stations in the vicinity, 80, 88.3, 88.5, and then there was the issue of uh, where Channel 6 audio used to be for television at uh, 87.9. Uh, you were limited to the, what you could do in terms of power. Um, the company that won, which uh, was um, Central Ontario Broadcasting, agreed that they would... Uh, keep it at a low level, 872, 875 watts. Uh, but as soon as they won the license, they went into, um, they, they, they launched an investigation to see what they would need to do to be able to apply for a power increase. And that involved dealing with some other radio stations in Southern Ontario in the vicinity of, of 88.1. They managed to create, uh, they managed to cut some deals. They applied for a power increase back in January. And this past week, Friday, November the 1st, uh, the CRTC said, great, you did a good job. Uh, you can go from 872 or 75 watts, whatever it is, to uh, 4,000. So um, if you're familiar with Toronto, uh, the, sta- the uh, transmitter is on top of First Canadian Place. They have to reduce the height of their tower by a bit. That doesn't, it's a technical reason. But they're going to be able to pump out 4,000 watts through their transmitter, which will nicely cover the greater Toronto area. Uh, it'll take about four to six weeks for this to happen because you have to get the Department of Transport, Department of Communications, and CRTC and make sure that you do it properly under the, uh, uh, you know, there's, 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 you have to go out and make sure that the, that the pattern is, is is mapped properly and all the rest of it. But come come January or so, um, the station will uh, more than triple, more than quadruple its its output, which will be uh, fantastic. Well, I'm really glad to hear that because what I'm hearing on the station is something that I'm not hearing much of anywhere else. I, I've been describing it basically as more guitar rock as opposed to corporate rock. I mean, there's two ways of looking at it. There is the uh, the business relationship an artist has with their record label and the kind of record label that they're related to, and then the spirit of, of independent music, which is uh, certainly different from the corporate stuff that you hear from from a lot of the major labels. Um, and so far, so good. Uh, we haven't, I mean, the station's only really been on the air properly since September the 3rd, so that's not even uh, two months yet. The first round of real ratings won't come out until December the 5th, but uh, anecdotally and some of the uh, the trending numbers point uh, in, in a very positive direction. And once we have everything in uh, up at 4,000 watts, uh, it's, it's going to be terrific. The, the radio station will be able to cover a larger area. And more importantly, in the Toronto area itself, 4,000 watts will be able to penetrate some concrete buildings, which was a real problem at 470 or 875 watts. The uh, the other issues were that there were some um, the dropouts. So if you go under an underpass, you would probably lose the station. 
And then there, here's another issue that was never uh, fully addressed. When CKLN went off the air at 88.1, that opened up a frequency. And, and the, the, um, the, the FM band is super crowded in southern Ontario, western New York, and eastern Pennsylvania, uh, western Pennsylvania and uh, northern Ohio. Um, and 88.1 suddenly became available. It was nice, empty channel. So if you had one of those, let's say, Griffin FM transmitters, which allowed you to beam your iPod or your iPhone into your car stereo via the radio, uh, people were tuning to 88.1. Problem was, is that when Indy went on the air, you could be driving through town, stop at a stoplight, and a guy would pull up next to you in a car where he's listening to his iPod tuned to 88.1 on his stereo, so, uh, that, and that would cut out your stereo, and you would end up listening to that guy's music. That's crazy. I'd never heard that. Yeah, no, that, that turned out to be a real problem. But uh, now that the power increase is going to go through, it's not going to be an issue. You report that proof the bad news comes in threes. Of course, we lost uh, Lou Reed. We've uh, lost uh, Miss Crabapple. And now we've also got word that uh, Fleetwood Mac's co-founder has been diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, this is really depressing. Uh, John McVie, who has been uh, part of Fleetwood Mac since the 1960s, has been diagnosed with some kind of cancer. I'm not really sure what kind of cancer, but the band has had to cancel a, a whole whack of shows as part of their world tour, and uh, so he can get some treatment for it. You know, it's it's again, we have you know these legacy acts. These people are getting old. The the warranty has worn out on their body parts. And, uh, and and now we're starting to see more and more of them suffer from, from serious health problems. Um, hoping that John McVie will be fine. I have to say, if I even make it to 71, I'm hoping that I look as good as Lou Reed did before he died. Well, I'll tell you, that's a great picture, isn't it? It is. This is the final picture that was taken of Lou Reed before he died uh, on October the 27th. Uh, he had a, he was doing a an ad or a series of promotional photos for a headphone manufacturer. And he had this very famous French photographer come and take some black and white photos. And this was uh, the very last picture that, that he took. Now, when this picture was taken, he would have been quite ill with uh, whatever was happening with his liver at the time. And But it's, you know, eh, see, everything looks better in black and white. All pictures, all portraits should be taken in black and white. Look at that. That's an interesting point. Time now for Ask Alan Anything. So we want to talk about Lou Reed, don't we? Hello, this is Lawrence calling from Edmonton, Alberta, uh, the least snowy major city still right here. I don't know. It's probably not snowing in Vancouver. Anyways, um, I have a question for Alan and a suggestion as well, because uh, with the recent passing of Lou Reed, uh, rest in peace and all that junk, um, <laughs> um, I was thinking, since you were talking about metal yoga, which is quite... Interesting. Actually, it sounds cool, but I would like it to be like thrashy metal, fast yoga. That would be both hilarious and, you know, a great workout, I'm sure. Like, yeah, some cannibal corpse. Let's do some yoga for that. Um, anyways, uh, my other suggestion was, and question was based on Lou Reed's Metal Machine Music, the album that came out in, I believe, 1976. Um, I've heard a whole bunch of stories about how it, why he made it and why it happened that way and that people have gone crazy on drugs doing that, doing drugs, listening to that album. I'm just wondering if you know the real story and I wouldn't guess any other person in the world that would probably, you know, I mean, you knew the guy who, you knew the kid from the boy album of you two, you know what that guy was up to. So, so if, 
if you don't know, all hope in the world is lost, and there's nothing left in it for me. So, uh, yeah, I'd love to know the story of Metal Machine Music. And uh, I've downloaded its ridiculous MP3. Every side is 16 minutes and one second long. I wonder if there's some interesting story behind that, too. Okay, well, if you know, you will make my day, my year, and my at least Christmas. And I'm with you. Screw Halloween. <laughs> Have a good one. Love the podcast. Okay, here's the story. Lou Reed was locked in a giant battle with his record label, RCA Records, and he wanted desperately to get out of his deal. But RCA wouldn't let him go. So he said, okay, F you, you guys, I'm going to deliver a double album that is completely unlistenable, and you're going to have to let me out of the contract. So he basically, he created Metal Machine Music, which was nothing but an hour's or so worth of screaming feedback. No beats, no notes, no melody. It is completely and hopelessly unlistenable and handed it in. To which RCA said, okay, smart guy, screw you. Just show you that we mean business. We're going to release the record anyway. And they did. And uh, the result was something very confusing. Some people found this you know, very experimental. It was, they found it, uh, it was a beating of, of, of noise rock. Uh, other people couldn't understand why it was just, you know, an hour's worth of feedback. And, but basically, it was a screw you from Lou to the record label and a screw you from the record label back to Lou. Now, the, the, if you go to the... There, there were... Very, yeah. Keep going. Does, does it get any better? Yeah, and this, this goes on for an hour. Now, um, the... You will see it listed as 16 minutes and one second. That's not necessarily true. Um, the four sides of this double record were uh, actually of different lengths. In fact, side four, uh, the last groove on the CD was locked into a continuous loop. <laughs> so if you left, if you got that far uh, and you had this on a turntable, it would just go on and on and on and on and on forever. In fact, it was, uh, if you looked on the, um, on the label of the CD, it was labeled, uh, or sorry, the label of the record, it was labeled 60 minutes and one second uh, infinity because of that lock, lock group. Now, on the CD, um, they just add another two minutes and some odd seconds of, of, of that loop before it actually fades out. So there's your answer. It was a screw you to the record label and a screw you from the record label back to Lou. The weird thing was is that this record has been something of a success. It was transferred to CD. According to the sources that uh, I've been able to check, it has sold at least 100,000 copies on CD in the U.S. And uh, there are a number of acts, especially in the U.K. and uh, Europe, that have actually covered the CD and played it in performance in its entirety. Its entirety? Yes. And people would sit through it? Apparently they have. How do you even score something like that? I don't know. It's one of those records that if you want to get people out of your house at the end of the night after the party, you put that on. You report to onallencross.ca, the hum may be solved and it could be caused by fish sex. Have you heard about the hum? I have heard about the hum. As a matter of fact, let's play you a little bit of the hum. This is from Terrace, B.C., and people are just sitting on their front porches listening to this.
How weird is that? Yeah, and if you go to a site called, uh, hang on, I'll call it up here. It's called the hum, the hum dot info. They have a Google map with uh, locations where the hum has been heard. And it's uh, all over Canada, the United States, um, Western Europe, and a couple of other places. Oh, there's a map. Yes. So what does this have to do with fish sex? Some people uh, react violently to this. They have headaches, they have dizziness, they can't sleep, they get nosebleeds. Um, and, and nobody can figure out where this, this noise seems to be coming from. But there are some people in the uh, UK who believe that maybe this has to do with a uh, species of fish called the midshipmen. And they tend to hum when they have sex. So in, in around Bristol and a couple of other places, uh, they, they Southampton and Leeds and, and uh, a few other places, they, they think that the hum may be caused by, by, by horny fish. And what a sexy-looking fish this is. So the hum is the fish vib- vibrations end up reverberating against the hulls of ships and the buildings near the harbors. And that's what apparently amplifies the sound of the hum from the very happy fish. The only question is, is after the fish have sex, do they smoke? I don't know, baby. I never look. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter or Facebook. And get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.